Thank you for reading that. And um, thanks to the musicians and singers as well. It's been a delight to hear the music and to sing Rich Truth with everyone. Thank you very much for serving us that way. Um, it was said earlier that I come from the United States and um, one of the most shocking things for me and Amy uh, moving here from America was the way that you are beyond where we were in terms of just thinking about God as a culture. Um, it struck us when we went back to America, uh, anytime we go back to America really, but you get off the plane and it doesn't take but a few minutes before somebody will say something like, God bless you. Now, what they mean by that, I don't know, but um, they actually have God as part of the vocabulary still. It's part of the cultural assumptions that there is a God, that he's true and he's real. And usually as we share the gospel in America, it's about helping people understand who that God is, particularly as he's been revealed to us in Jesus Christ, his son. And um, that was evangelism. Coming to Australia... It um, shocked us that people don't believe here the same. In fact, in 2011, there was a a survey about belief, and it showed that 22% of Australians said they had no religion, and that was up 7% just from 10 years before. So you can think about this. Nearly 5 million people out of close to 20, or 25 million now, 5 million out of 25 million, one in five, said they don't believe in God. A hundred years ago, it would have been one in 10,000. One in five, a hundred years ago, would have been one in 10,000. That's staggering. So we've come a very long way in terms of what we think about God. Now, you'll be aware of the sort of hostility that this means just in terms of regular society. People think it's crazy. It's crazy that you would believe something like this, this old. I talked to a friend of mine in the pub recently, and I said, do you ever think about God? Do you ever ever wonder about reality? He works as a medical doctor. And he goes, no, it's too hard. And I said, why? He says, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I said, I guess it would. Because if it's real, it means that you need to change. But a lot of people don't want to think about it anymore. And he says, I just don't understand how something so old should be made to apply to me now. And I said, well, you should give it a read and see, actually, just how contemporary it is. In the midst of a society like this, I wonder how you feel about your faith. You send your kids to school, and surely, if you're like me, you're worried about what they will encounter because of their faith. What will they be taught What will people think of them because they say they believe in Jesus? How many of you are the only one in your family that trusts in Christ? How many of you are the only one in your workplace that trusts in Christ? And in the midst of this kind of society, it's difficult to think about what it is to cling fast to the gospel when it's increasingly unfashionable, it's unpopular. Forty years ago, the social and political agenda would have been largely agreeable to our faith. Now it's dead set. It's polarizing. How do we keep getting on? I think it places an incredible pressure on us as Christians and one that I don't want to speak of dismissively. I wonder if you ask yourself, not out loud, 
just in your heart, is it worth it? I mean, is it really worth it? Am I naive somehow? Am I on the wrong side of history? Do I need to catch up with the times? Should I give up when it just seems more and more like this faith is outdated? So many Christians face these questions. I suspect you do. And some of them will try to reorient their faith in order to accommodate this kind of culture. They'll actually try to, you know, smooth over some of the, you know, sharp edges of our faith so that it's more agreeable with the society that we live in. They'll give up fundamentals so that they can feel a bit more comfortable. But in the midst of this culture, we can feel increasingly apathetic, complacent, maybe more than anything, just discouraged. And I think that's what Paul's getting to in this passage today. In fact, he's writing to the Ephesian believers and encouraging them, don't be discouraged. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul has written three chapters, some of the most eloquent words you'll ever read in terms of what our faith is and how God has brought faith to us. Chapter 1 that we had we read aloud earlier um, on the screen talks about God's plan of salvation. The Father choosing us before the foundations of the world. The Son, Jesus, coming to redeem us, giving His own body for us. The Spirit sealing us. All of these things to the praise of God's glory. Then Paul gives this great prayer. I keep praying for you, he says in 1.15. Afterwards, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you in 1.16. And I keep asking God for things for you in 117. He's making petitions that the Lord Himself would help them to know the hope of our calling in Christ. Our value is His inheritance in Christ. The immeasurable power of God for us in Christ. Power that gives us victory over even the demonic forces. Power that brings us from death to life. Power that breaks down barriers between Jew and Gentile makes us one new man. It's a mystery that Paul says in chapter 3 that he was entrusted with. A mystery in verse 6. Mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members of one body. Sharers together in the promise of Christ. And he goes on in verse 10, as I read to you earlier, chapter 3. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And he stopped for a second. But Paul, you say, I heard you're in jail. We've not seen you for a while, Paul. How is it you can tell us something so grand that all this is happening? You're in jail. Where's the power? And he says, he says, don't get discouraged. Hear these words of truth. Hear these words of truth. Let them ring out in your hearts, in your minds. 
cling fast to them, even though I'm in jail. I'm in jail because of the gospel. Because it's glorious. It's your glory. Now, the reason why we're looking at this prayer only, we're focusing on 14 to 22, 21, excuse me. The reason why we're focusing on these passages, 14 to 21, is because I know how discouraging it can be. A couple weeks ago, I was driving to church and I just thought, oh man, how are we ever going to win? I don't even know what we're trying to fight for, but how are we ever going to win? I just feel like more and more and more people are offside. It's tougher and tougher every week, and yet we come together. And we come together because of this. I mean, it feels very mundane. We sit together in pews. We sit together as family. But this thing here, even when you come here, As hard as it is, and I appreciate the testimony today, it's hard to come to church some weeks. This thing here, even now, is a declaration to the heavenly realms of God's great plan. It feels so simple and so small, week in, week out, and yet this is part of God's cosmic plan to make known His greatness. He's bringing together even us, even you, even me, in Christ, against all odds. And you know what they say? These powers? Wow. Wow, that's marvelous. How glorious. Who'd have thought? So in view of all these things, Paul offers a prayer for the Ephesian believers, for this church, and he asks God to do the impossible. He asks God that through His Spirit, Christ would dwell in our hearts so that we can mature. Why is this impossible? Because the very thing that Paul's asking that we would know is unknowable. That God Himself would dwell in us. And that we would mature to the fullness of God. And Paul prays very confident that God can indeed do this. That He Himself is actually powerful enough to do it. My question is, do we believe it anymore? I I talked to some students about this recently. and I said, you know, what I'm afraid of is that our church says they believe a lot, but I wonder if we really do. Do we actually think that this is what God is doing in the world? Do we actually think that God is transforming us? That He's building us up in the truth of Christ? That He's working us together, using each other, everyone here, for the sake of us growing up in Christ, what we're going to see tonight? Do we really believe that He's able, that He's powerful to save? Do we really believe that Christ is victorious over every power, even when we can't see it around us? Do we believe this anymore? Paul is confident. He offers three prayers here. A prayer for three things. But first, he prays to the Father. This is the one who's named every family 
in heaven and on earth. And this comes back to our one man idea. God is making one new humanity. A humanity that he's welcoming into his household as their father. It goes back to Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6, where it talks about God the Father adopting us, making a plan, choosing us for adoption. Adopting us, you and me, into his family. Loving us, caring for us, providing for us. We ask according to the riches of his glory. That plan that we mentioned a moment ago of chapter 1, verse 6, talks about the riches of his glory, the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 of chapter 1, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 of chapter 1, to the praise of his glory. So when we pray, we pray according to the plan that God has rolled out for us. He says, look what I'm doing. Before the world, I made this plan. In Christ, I achieved this plan. My spirit serves as a down payment for this plan. And we get to ask accordingly. We, uh, we have a brand new building at Moore College where I teach. Um, if you haven't visited, we, we'd invite you. It's five minutes up the road, as I figured out this morning. That's how long it took me to get here, which was great. I was debating, because I have friends that come here, and I thought, oh, I go to St. Thomas's in North Sydney. It's probably about equal distance. No, you guys get a much better drive in the morning. You win. Um, this building project at Moore, I mean, a simple illustration. When architects draw up plans, builders have to build according to the plans. If you're a cook, right, and you're, and you're cooking, or if you're a baker and you're baking, you've got a recipe, and you follow the instructions. Hopefully, you know the disaster if you don't. I mean, if you're a builder and you don't follow the plans, something's going to go seriously wrong. But here, God has given us riches in His Word. We look at Ephesians 1 to 3, and we see what God is doing in history. Marvelous things. We're a part of that plan. And we pray, we ask God according to that plan. We can pray to God based on these truths. And we can do so in confidence. Asking what Paul's asked for here. And he asked the Father for three things. First of all, that the Ephesians be granted powerful strength. So strength. Second, that they be able to comprehend or take hold of and grasp this truth. So comprehension. And finally, that they would be filled to the fullness of God. Fullness. And we're going to look at each of these three things briefly. But I want you to see that they work in order. They progress. And they come together. They culminate, if you will, in the maturity of the church. That's what Paul's praying for. He wants them. He wants us to grow up. But not just to start working harder. He's asking God to provide everything that's necessary for people to grow up in Christ. To reach the fullness. That's the aim. In short, Paul is asking that God would, by His power, bring the believers to maturity. So the first thing he asks for is that they be granted powerful strength. Look with me at verse 16. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is asking that God's Spirit be working in our inner beings. Christ would dwell in us, and this happens, of course, by faith. And then he finishes in verse 17 saying, And I pray you'd be rooted and established in love. Now, we've, we probably have questions about how this might work and when it might happen. Is Paul saying that these believers don't have Jesus? Is he saying that they actually don't have the Spirit? I don't think so. That's not what he's saying here. Paul is asking that God would, by His Spirit, that is His Spirit dwelling in them, the Spirit they've already received, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that by that Spirit, they would have strength so that they would stay in Christ, that Jesus would dwell and remain in the believers, that He would remain in His church, that he would do so rooting and grounding the believers in love. To think about this, I mean, Paul asks for strength like a gardener watering plants. The plants are in the ground. He's just wanting the roots to go down deeper and deeper and deeper so that they stand firm in the ground. That they stay anchored and planted. Paul wants them to have nourishment, to keep growing up. They're, ground, they're in the ground. He wants them to keep growing up. So he wants them to stay rooted right where they are. Paul says that we're already rooted and grounded in love. That's the love of God in Christ. But, he's now asking for God's strength so that we can grow. Really what I want you to see in this prayer is that we are absolutely spiritually dependent people. When you come to church, no one's just saying, hey, get your act together. Now, sometimes there are things we need to repent of, absolutely. But we will never, ever See, anything of good effect in our lives apart from what God does in us by His Spirit. We'll talk about this in a moment, about our responsibility in the midst of this. But first of all, we need to see that we are absolutely dependent people, so we plead with God, give us your strength. Give us your strength and keep us right where we are in the Gospel. So that in that truth, in that reality, we can grow. Second, he asks that we be able to comprehend. He asks for comprehension. And you get this really confusing passage. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And you kind of wonder, where is it going? And then he says, and to know the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. How is it that we are supposed to know something that surpasses understanding? That's a paradox. How am I supposed to say, this is something you can never understand, but I hope you can understand it. Well, I'm grateful that we have eternity to keep searching this truth, that we keep knowing God's love for us forever, that we keep hearing, listening, dwelling in that love that God has given to us. And what Paul is praying for here is something that God alone can do. He's not saying, love God more. That would be great, by the way. I hope that we all do love God more. But that we, first of all, would know God's love more. That, he would, that we would know more of God's love for us in Christ. It's the only way that we can grow to spiritual maturity is if God brings power for us to comprehend His love. This prayer, by the way, that we're reading about here in verses 14 to 20, uh, 21 parallels a prayer in chapter 1. It parallels the prayer that Paul prays in chapter 1, verse 17 and following. 
He says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed everything under His feet, appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all, everything in every way. That's who we are. We are the church. We are the church that is in Christ. We are the church that stands under Christ, victorious over everything. And Paul here is praying, Lord, let them comprehend that truth. Let them know that love. Let them understand what it is they have in Jesus. Let them grow up in this. But comprehension and knowledge is something very different, I think. You know what I mean by that? You can know something without knowing it. You can know a lot of facts, but you may not actually internalize a lot of truth. I had a friend of mine. I had a friend of mine who absolutely walked away from Christianity after working at a church with me for a number of years. He would tell people about Jesus. He would devour as many academic books about the Bible as he could find. He would even stand and tell people why they should believe Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a real test, actually, in the New Testament about faith. And now he's working on a degree to disprove that anything in the New Testament was ever real and true, historically. He's absolutely just thrown it away. My friend knew a lot. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. But he didn't know it. He didn't know it. What we're not asking is that you go away and just get ready for trivia. Paul's praying these rich truths that Christ is all-powerful. That we are in Him. That that would be real in our hearts. That we would comprehend it. Not just know it, comprehend it. So that we can grow up in Christ. See, theology can be something we think is just random facts. Abstract theory. It's not. It's our existence. It's reality. And we pray to God, please Lord, let us know what's unknowable. Bring into our hearts these truths. Let us stay anchored so that we are not discouraged in a day when everything seems to be against us. Let us not walk away from the faith. Keep us close. Third, be filled to the fullness of God. Fullness is a strange thing, thinking about this. Um, you think about... Uh, 
the way that we think about the Spirit of God in our lives. And it's almost like you think about having to go to the petrol station or something. That you just need to go for a top-up somehow of some kind of liquid or... I don't know what you might think about these things. And when we're thinking about growing up into fullness, it's not like we're actually trying to pursue something more in our lives, like I'm running at about 30% spiritual right now, and I want to grow up. That's not what's being asked for here. Fullness is found in the end of chapter 1, verse 23, that Christ is the one who fills all in all. And the kind of fullness that we see in Him is also seen in Colossians 1.19, that in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we get over to chapter 4 tonight, we're going to see that we are growing up into the fullness of Christ. That is, that we will mature into Him, no longer children tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. I think it's about our maturity into the One whom we stand in already. That's a bit tricky. If that doesn't make sense to you, we could talk about it at a later time. Hopefully tonight we'll make even more sense of it. It's about us growing up into Jesus. We're in Jesus, fully, in Him, secure. But now we're being transformed into His likeness, growing up into Him. And we, it takes us working together to do this. Together, through the ministry of the Word, And this prayer, I think, serves as a prelude to the practical instructions that we're going to see in the next section. I do hope you'll be able to come back tonight, actually, and hear these things, because the most practical end of these things is coming in the next one, when we think about what it is to be working together to grow up in Christ as the church. Um, Once more, I want you to see that um, this takes us being together, working together, and serving together and actually growing up into fullness. So Paul's prayed that God would give strength. Paul's prayed that we would be able to comprehend. But now the fullness picture comes as we serve each other as the body of Christ in chapter 4. The way that I like to think about it is that we first of all have to recognize our dependence on God before we act. But it doesn't mean that we don't act. So, somebody's playing electric guitar up here, a very nice Telecaster. Um, when you play that, I have to play with my fingers on the strings if I'm playing. I have to strum, I have to play chords or notes, however I'm going to play. But unless I'm plugged in, no sound. I've got to have that current coming through, if you will, so that I can actually make a sound and have it come out through the amplifier. There's a dependence on that power coming through. Even though I'm working, I'm depending on that, making that sound come through. Now that's what we're doing, is we're thinking about this. God, give us everything we need. Your strength. God, help us to comprehend, to internalize these truths, so that we can be built up to the fullness of God as we serve one another. As we listen to the Word, and as we speak the Word to one another, as we'll see in chapter 4. Finally, Paul finishes with a praise for confidence. Look with me at verse 20. Now to Him who is able, Him who is able to do more, immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And ever. 
Amen. We petition Him for maturity. We ask because He can bring more than we might ever be able to conceive of. Now, in a day like today, I hope this serves as an encouragement to you. I'm asking you to believe God's Word. To trust Him. And to join in praying what Paul prays. That God would act according to His plan. According to the power, the spiritual work that He can bring. So that He will glorify Himself in the church. He's already told us that that's His plan. This is the heart of everything that we've seen so far. God is bringing all things together in Christ according to the power of His Spirit and He's doing this under His glory. God has worked to save people, even us. And He's growing us up in the truth. And we're going to see how we can grow together after this. Growth is difficult. It's hard work. And can I be honest with you? I'm not naive. It's hard to be together. Um, we had a Bible study group last time I was leading Bible study at my church before I um, finished as a pastor there. And uh, we wanted our groups to match what we were trying to do in the church. So we wanted it to be like a, a small picture of our church. So we had 18 to 62-year-olds in our group. Uh, we had someone with special needs. We had an older couple, very successful professionals, no kids. We had our family with kids, causing ruckus till about 7.30 when they went to bed, and then about five times after that when they got out of bed. We had um, a young man who was engaged to be married. We had a tradie. We had a couple of uni students. We had a gap year student. It was random. I mean, really, really random. It was awkward. And it was beautiful. By the end of the year, we were a family. We fought like a family. We laughed and we cried like a family. And we learned what it was to serve one another. We learned what it was for somebody older to take responsibility for somebody younger. For somebody younger to start encouraging somebody older who was getting discouraged. We learned what it was for each person to play their part in serving in that group. But it's hard. Growth is not easy. And you know what complicates things? Sin. I like things my way. And so do you. And usually we don't agree. But God is powerful. And in a world with adversity against us because of Christ, that people don't like that we trust Christ because it doesn't agree with their way of life. But it's God's world. Do we believe it? It's God's plan for history. Do we believe it? God can do immeasurably more than we ask. Do we believe it? Then we should pray it. And in the next session, we're going to look at how God plans to strengthen us for growth into the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we have been promised so much.
We are so easily discouraged. Our faith wanes in the face of adversity, challenges, when people around us disagree. Forgive us for the times where we've believed only because of convenience. Forgive us for the times where we've doubted because of inconvenience, discomfort. Would you help us to trust your word? Would you help us to see what can't be seen and to know what we can't know? Give us strength. Give us comprehension. And bring us to fullness. We ask it for the sake of your glory. In the name of Christ. Amen.